Our Father, we thank you so much for giving us your word. Thank you that you have preserved it through the centuries um, as people have written it down and faithful men and women have passed it on to other faithful men and women. And we ask tonight that you would help us to see the gospel clearly again, to be convicted of its truth and to want to live in light of it. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Do we have any movie buffs out there? Stick your hand up if you're a movie buff. We have it here. I'm, I'm looking at Sam and I'm looking at Alan. I know you guys love movies. But answer me this question. How many times have you been watching a TV show or a movie and you hear someone say something like this? Don't worry. Everything will be okay. I hear giggles. That's a good thing. Here's some examples. A husband comes out of the doctor's room, greets his wife in the waiting room. He says, it doesn't look good. They're going to have to do some more tests. What does she say? I'm sure everything will be just fine. A family is struggling to get by financially, struggling to pay the bills each month. What do they say to their kids? It's okay. We'll get by. Don't worry. The guy breaks up with the girl and she is devastated. What do her friends say to her? You'll be okay. Things will get better. Or the classic one, someone gets shot. They're on the ground in their friend's arms and there's blood everywhere. What does the friend say? Don't worry. You'll be okay. Just stay with me. You get the point, don't you? Whenever something bad happens in a movie, for some reason, someone has to say, everything will be okay. My guess is it's in 90% of movies. Keep your, keep your eyes and ears out for it next time you watch a movie. I'm sure everything will be okay. People say it all the time in movies. But the skeptic in me says, really? Will everything be okay? How can you be sure? What evidence do you have? Because most of the time the evidence is it's not okay. I'm sure everything will be okay. Has anyone ever said that to you? Have you ever thought, how can you be so sure? That's the kind of question that you could ask Paul at this point in the book of Romans. So let's think about what we've read over the last couple of weeks of Romans. If we cast our minds back, chapters 1 to 4, we will remember the wonderful news that even though all humans are utterly sinful, and under God's judgment, God sent Jesus as a propitiation, as a sacrifice in our place. And so Paul tells us that as we have faith, as we believe the promises of God, he declares us to be righteous, to be right with him. And let's cast our minds back to last week's passage. What did we see? Last week we saw Paul begin to explain some of the benefits of justification. Because we have been declared righteous, we have what? Peace with God. A reconciled relationship with Him. We have joy and hope as we wait for the wonderful future that He has promised us. Eternal life. Salvation from His wrath. 
And at this point, someone might say, Yes, Paul, that sounds really great. But how can I be sure? How can I be sure that what you're saying is true? How can I be sure that God will save us? How can I be sure that the hope of eternal life will actually happen? How can we be sure? Paul says in this chapter, look at the evidence. Remember last week, chapter 5, Paul says, if Jesus died for us when we were God's enemies, then of course he will look after us now that we are considered his friends. God has declared us righteous now so we can be sure of our future hope. That was last week. But tonight in our passage, Paul shows us yet another reason why we can have a sure hope in our future. But in true Paul style, before he shows us the good news, he has to show us the bad news. Before he shows us our hope, he shows us again that we are hopeless. So have a look at Romans 5 verse 12. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, in this way death spread to all men because all sinned. What is the bad news that Paul describes here? Paul starts telling us the story of Genesis 3, doesn't he? The story of the very first sin by the very first man, Adam. Adam Breesley's not here, is he, tonight? That's not who this is talking about. Paul points us back to the Garden of Eden, the place that God had created for humans to live in and to multiply in, the place that God put Adam in charge of, he gave him the honorable job of working the garden and looking after it. He supplied all his needs and he walked with him every day in the garden with uninterrupted fellowship. Perfect relationship. But instead of listening to the God who had created him and given him so much, Adam did the one exact thing that his loving creator told him not to do. He ate fruit from the one tree that, he's, that God had asked him not to. And so God declared in Genesis 3, You will eat bread by the sweat of your brow until you return to the ground, since you were taken from it. For you are dust and you will return to dust. You will die, Adam. So why does Paul want to remind us of this story? What's his point? Paul points out to us it was through that one disobedience by that one man, Adam, that landed all humanity in the mess. By that one disobedience from one man, all humanity die. Adam's sin equals death for all. Because Adam sinned, death reigns over everyone after him. And at this point, you might ask, why is that? How come we die for Adam's sin? Doesn't that seem a little bit unfair? In our individualistic culture, we think everyone is responsible for their own actions. And you might as well even go to say that people's actions don't affect the people around them. But no. 
Here, Paul says plainly and clearly, we die for Adam's sin because Adam is our representative. Adam is the first man to exist, and so he is the representative of all people after him, which is everyone. All people come from him, and so he represents all people. Yes, we humans die for our own sin. We've seen that, haven't we, in Romans, all throughout the last four chapters. But here, Paul says humans also die for the sin of Adam. Sin and death enter the world through one man's one sin. And so we as humans, we are double guilty. We sin and deserve judgment for our we deserve judgment for our sin, but we also deserve it for Adam's sin because he is our representative. Think about it like this. When you watch a movie or when you read a book and there's a king in this movie, there's a king and he's got his army and he's also got his nation. When the king goes to battle against another nation and his army goes with him, but the king falls, the king dies or the king is captured What happens to his army? They scatter, they retreat, or they're captured, or they're all slaughtered. When the king falls, so does the army, and so does the king's nation. It's the same with Adam. Adam is our representative. He's our king of sorts. And so when Adam falls, we fall with him. And so what does this mean for us? It means that from the moment that you and I were conceived, we're considered guilty sinners. Guilty sinners headed for death. Adam's sin equals death for all. And this is why it is so important that the gospel goes to the ends of the earth and that as many people as can, as possible, hear it. This is why we need to spread the gospel, first of all by speaking it and then by giving, giving to our church, giving to mission organizations or Bible colleges because people haven't heard the gospel. People have Adam as their representative. They are facing death and judgment just like him. This is also why teaching the gospel to children is so important. This is why if you are a leader or a teacher of children in any way across our whole church, never take for granted or be lazy about what you do. Adam's sin equals death for all. And so we need to play our part in sharing the gospel faithfully with those who haven't heard it and with children so that they can hear the gospel and be saved. Adam's sin equals death for all. This is the bad news that Paul wants to show us, so that he can tell us the good news, so that he can show us that our hope can be sure. And to do that, he starts a comparison. He shows us two men, Adam and Jesus. And first of all, he shows us how they Adam and Jesus are different to each other. So, this is the time for you guys to do some work. Turn to your neighbor, have a look over verses 15 to 17. 
and discuss. How are Adam and Jesus different? Go for it. <clears throat> all right. That's long enough. Got all the answers? Good. In verse 15, Paul starts to contrast two things for us, doesn't he? What are they? Shout them out. Two things. The gift and the trespass. What is the gift? The gift is the gift of righteousness that comes through Jesus. That same gift that we have been hearing about all along in Romans. Being declared righteous before God because of Jesus' death for us and our faith in him. What is the trespass? Well, the trespass, as we saw earlier, is Adam's sin. Adam disobeyed and trespassed against God in the Garden of Eden. And so Paul is on one hand comparing the gift of righteousness from Jesus, and on the other hand, the trespass of Adam. And he starts to compare them and the effect that Adam and Jesus have on the rest of humanity. So, how are Adam and Jesus different to each other? The first way that they're different is Adam's sin and Jesus' gift, they have opposite results. What does Adam's sin result in? Have a look at those verses. Death, condemnation, and judgment for everyone. What does Jesus' gift of righteousness result in? Grace overflowing. Justification, being made righteous before God. Reigning in life instead of death. Adam's sin has the complete opposite effect to Jesus' gift and vice versa. But how else are Adam and Jesus different? Adam's sin and Jesus' gift have different power. And to help us think a little bit about this, have a look at this quick video from Invest last year. You'll enjoy this. Thank you, Larissa, for videoing that. In that video, what is the difference between Gladwin and Rick? Rick is massive. Who is more powerful? Rick. Sorry, Rick. What's the difference between Adam and Jesus? I'm not saying that Rick or Gladwin are anything... You know, I'm not saying one of them is Adam and one of them is Jesus. The difference between Adam and Jesus is the simple fact that what Jesus has done is more powerful than what Adam did. Jesus' gift of righteousness is more powerful than Adam's sin. Jesus is powerful enough to completely override and overcome Adam's sin and all its consequences. But it overcomes even more than that. Have a look at verse 16. It says, From many trespasses came the gift, resulting in justification. Or in other words, Jesus' gift is more powerful 
than Adam's one sin and the millions and millions of sins and trespasses that each and every person has committed since then. Jesus' gift is powerful enough to overcome death, judgment, and condemnation for everyone. Jesus wins the arm wrestle against Adam. And this is why we can be so sure of our future hope. Yes, Adam's sin means that all humanity dies, but Jesus' gift is more powerful. How can we be sure of our hope? Because Adam and Jesus are different. Jesus' gift overcomes Adam's sin. And now that Paul has shown us how Adam and Jesus are different, he shows us that Adam and Jesus are actually similar. So, turn to your neighbor, have a look over verses 18 to 21, and discuss how are Adam and Jesus similar. Go for it. Okay, that was a minute. Sometimes a minute goes really quickly, doesn't it? Here, Paul begins to bring his argument home. He shows us Adam and Jesus are actually similar. So let's have a look from these verses. First of all, what did Adam do and what is the result for humanity? This is not new. Paul recaps what he's already said. In verse 18, Adam did one trespass. Or in verse 19, Adam disobeyed God's command. Adam trespassed, Adam disobeyed. What's the result? Verse 18, the result is condemnation for everyone. Verse 19, the result is the many being made sinners. This is what Paul has been showing us just in the previous verses. Adam's sin equals death for all. But what did Jesus do? And what result does that have for humanity? In verse 18, Jesus did one righteous act. The one righteous act of dying on the cross in our place. Or in verse 19, Jesus obeyed God by going to the cross for us. What's the result? Verse 18, the result is life-giving justification. Being declared righteous before God, and so we have life. Eternal life instead of death. Or in verse 19, the result is the many are made righteous. They are right before God. This isn't new, isn't it? This is what Paul has been talking about so magnificently over the last few chapters of Romans. So how are Adam and Jesus similar in these verses? Adam and Jesus are similar because both of their actions have massive results for humanity. Both of their actions affect the people that they represent. Both of them are representatives of humanity. Up until Jesus... Remember, this was in Paul's day, in Paul's own time he experienced this. Up until Jesus, Adam was the only representative of humanity that there was. Adam is the first representative, and so he represents sinful and broken, dying humanity. But now, in Paul's own lifetime, 
Jesus has come. There is a second representative. And Jesus represents justified, saved humanity. So even though Adam's sin equals death for all, Jesus' obedience on the cross and the gift of righteousness that he gives, that equals life for all. All people are counted sinners. All people die because of Adam's sin, but all people can be counted righteous and live because of Jesus' magnificent obedience on the cross. Like a king who leads his army into battle, Adam falls, and so his army and his nation fall with him. But Jesus is victorious. And so his army and his nation, they enjoy the spoils. And so at this point, we have to ask the question, who is my representative? Whose team am I on? Am I on team Adam or am I on team Jesus? Because the truth is, you can't sit on the fence. Either you are on team Adam or you are on team Jesus. So have you joined team Jesus? Have you received the gift of righteousness that overcomes Adam's sin and your sin and your death and condemnation and gives you eternal life? If you haven't, then by default, you are on team Adam. And as hard as it is to say, your future is death, condemnation, judgment at the hand of the God who created you. But the good news that Paul gives us is that to receive the gift, to have Jesus cover Adam's sin and our sin, all we have to do to have the blessings of justification and eternal life is have faith. Remember Romans 4 verse 5 from a few weeks ago. It's on your sermon outline. But to the one who does not work for salvation, but believes on him, who declares the ungodly to be righteous, his faith is credited for righteousness. If you place your trust in the one who makes ungodly people like you and me righteous, if you believe in the promises of God that Jesus died to take the punishment for our sin and that he rose again, then you have been transferred from team Adam to team Jesus. From team guilty to team righteous. From team death to team life. There is no greater news than this. And so if that is you, and you haven't accepted that, then please accept the gift of righteousness and eternal life that is offered to you. Have faith in Jesus. There is no more important decision than this. But for the most of us who have put our faith in Jesus, who have received that gift of righteousness, how can we be sure of our future hope? We can't see that we've been made righteous. There's no physical evidence given to us in a, on, a, on a document or anything like that. How can we be sure that God will save us in the end? 
Paul says, look at the evidence. Jesus has completely overcome Adam's sin and everything that it means. Jesus is our new representative. Paul wants to show us that we can be totally sure of our future hope. And our hope is certain because of what God has done in Jesus. Even though Adam's sin equals death for all, Jesus' obedience on the cross and his gift of righteousness equals life for all. And so there is a sense to which we as Christians can say it will be okay. Everything will be all right. Not in the way that people say it in the movies when they have no real evidence before them. Because we have the evidence that Jesus died for us and that it overcomes Adam's sin and death. That doesn't mean that everything will be okay in this life. It might not be okay the way we want things to be okay. As Phil said last week, sometimes it is really hard to have faith. It is really hard to persevere and to continue to trust in the promises of God. But we can be sure of our future hope of reigning in life with Jesus, of being saved from his wrath and having life forever. Why? Because of what Jesus has done. So if you ever have any doubt as to whether Jesus has paid for your sin, or if you are tempted to think you are too sinful for God to save you, if you ever ask, how can I be sure? Or the next time you are doubted to wonder what on earth God is doing with my life, then look at the evidence of what God has done in Jesus. How can we be sure of our future hope? Adam's sin equals death for all. But Jesus' obedience on the cross and his gift of righteousness equals life for all. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you. We thank you that though we are totally undeserving, that though we deserve your judgment for Adam's sin and for all our own sins, we thank you that you sent the Lord Jesus. We thank you that he willingly and obediently died for us, even while we were still your enemies. Lord, it is hard to comprehend just how gracious you have been to us. And so we ask that you would help us. Please grow our hearts and minds. Please help us to meditate on the evidence of your grace to us. We ask that you'd help us to see Adam is not our representative anymore but that Jesus is. And Lord, may that overflow into assurance, assurance in your promises, assurance in the hope of eternal life. And we ask for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.